Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I'm Taylor Blackwood, and this is my show. Really appreciate you guys tuning in today. We're going to be talking about TikTok. You may have seen it uh, at the top of all your headlines. I certainly have had a lot of this in my feeds lately, everything from Reddit to the Wall Street Journal, even on uh, my friend's Instagram stories. They're posting about Donald Trump's executive order to maybe shut down TikTok in the United States. It's pretty crazy. It's an unprecedented threat, Uh, but they're doing it because of national security risk. You know, that uh, parent corporation called ByteDance that owns TikTok is uh, uh, owned by, you know, a Chinese corporation. And they're worried about Chinese censorship and them having access to data about millions and millions of users who use TikTok, both their metadata and direct data on them. So there's all sorts of concerns going around, all sorts of politics involved in this, all sorts of crazy acquisition talk where Microsoft is looking at buying them. And meanwhile, competitors are on the rise. So this is a fascinating topic. It's going to be kind of wide ranging. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on and help you guys have some more details and some more understanding of this situation. Finally, I get to wrap it up with something kind of unique. One of my close friends, Lauren McRitchie, is actually a content creator on TikTok. She has over 20,000 followers. And she's an incredible dancer. She used to uh, dance in the, for an NBA team. She's on their official dance team. And uh, you might have caught her half court at the Utah games. But anyways, so she transitioned to TikTok, actually gets paid for it. And uh, she was kind enough to give me a short interview this afternoon and some insights from a creator's point of view on all this. So without further ado, let's jump in and talk about TikTok and what's going on. First of all, I'd be remiss not to explain what TikTok is to most of you, because honestly, I don't know a lot about TikTok. <laughs> Certainly before I started doing research for this podcast, Podcast, it's a little bit of an unknown to me. One of those moments in life where you feel old is when a new social media just explodes and all the teenagers in high school are doing it and you have no idea what it is, why people are dancing at their phones. <laughs> Anyways, that's what TikTok is, people dancing at their phones. No, it's uh, the gist is this. Users film themselves like lip, lip syncing or acting out comedy sketches. They're 15 seconds long. And uh, typically what happens, I guess what started is there were viral dances where one person would put a dance out there and then someone else would respond to it, trying to mimic it. And what's unique about TikTok, apparently, and one of the things that makes it so addictive and so community-based is that each of those mimics reference the chain. So you can kind of follow and see uh, who mimics who. And like, if you put a dance out there and then someone mimics it, it calls people back to your page as well. And there's these dances going viral, even like rappers and entertainers and people like this are creating songs and dances based around TikTok to try to promote it. And uh, it's a really popular thing, but it goes beyond just dancing. You know, that's kind of what I see a lot of younger kids doing. It's pretty funny. (laughs) If you ever catch someone outside of a coffee shop dancing at their phone, that's probably what's going on. But uh, yeah, apparently goes beyond that. They do like comedy sketches. They do funny things and send it forward and people mimic it. Just like any other social media, you can search by hashtag. So if you're interested in seeing a certain type of dance or comedy or whatever, you can search for that. Uh, but anyways, there's, you know, you can add on music, you can add on sound effects pretty easily and things like this. It makes it really attractive, especially to younger people who are really enjoying TikTok and it has a lot of dominance. TikTok, uh, also has a second name. I don't know how to pronounce this exactly. Doyin, D-O-U-Y-I-N. And that's what, um, uh, it's branded as in China and maybe a couple other markets, but anyways, so, uh, it's TikTok is a Chinese sharing social networking service owned by ByteDance, which is a Beijing based internet technology company founded in 2012, but the product came out in 2016 in China for the first time, 2018 in the United States. All of this is very controversial. 
So for those of you who don't know, a major thing we're going to touch on on this is that the Chinese government has very deep reaching and wide ranging laws that promote Internet censorship. And this is a terrible thing, in my opinion, uh, censorship of media sources and backdoor dealings. You know, famously, the NSA caught heat for this, but basically stealing their citizens data and in this case, even other countries, citizens data so that they can monitor them and use it for all their political purposes, not the least of which is like uh, stifling dissent in Hong Kong and then trying to counter those democracy talks and things like this. Um, they monitor for dissent against the government online and go and actually, to my understanding, sometimes arrest these people and intimidate them and things like this. It's a really kind of scary thing. And that's at the center of this controversy is that Donald Trump is worried about a Chinese owned um, a conglomerate having all sorts of data on American citizens and especially our young citizens who we need to protect in this case. So that's at the center of this controversy. It's something I'm going to talk, talk about pretty extensively in this podcast. So the fact that they're owned and based out of Beijing and that they're Chinese owned and based out of Beijing is a really big deal because of all those backdoor laws they have to comply with and what that means for national security in places like the United States and other first world countries, really any other country. So anyways, um, an interesting thing. So it launched in, as Doyen uh, back in 2016, uh, but then only became available in the U.S. in late 2018. And that's because they purchased another company called Music.ly. So Musical.ly, I think is what people refer to it as. And I, I think it had a decent little following. It's a slightly different type of social media platform. I didn't know a lot about Musical.ly before researching for this podcast, but they acquired them for somewhere between 800 million and a billion or what most of the reports I saw online. And that gave them an instant user base in the United States, but also probably made it more palatable for them to get into the United States. Like I mentioned as a Chinese owned company, because they purchased an existing Chinese or an existing company that isn't the United States. And it probably kind of helped them not necessarily fly under the radar, but help them get a foothold in the United States, both, like I said, from a user-based standpoint and also from a regulatory standpoint. That's become very controversial now. We have senators and other Congress people calling it out. Uh, Rubio has been very vocal about this, apparently, and looking into that acquisition uh, to kind of understand how this slipped through and, and how it became such a dominant deal in the United States overnight. And that acquisition of Musical.ly was a big part of it. So in September 2018, it surpassed Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Snapchat in monthly installs in the App Store. That is huge. Um, it's, it was the biggest downloaded app in September 2018. That is just nuts to be bigger than Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat. All those are huge and dominant apps. So for them to be downloaded more than that is just crazy. It was downloaded more than a billion times in 2018 alone. And it launched in 2018, I think late 2018 too, like August or something like that. So that is absolutely nuts how quickly it exploded and how quickly it became a big force. It's an interesting thing that something innocuous, like a, a dance mimicking app can be so dangerous for national security and things like this. Just several years later, it's pretty nuts to see how quickly things can change in the world that we live in, especially when it comes to communication, tech products and scaling apps. Um, it's smaller than Facebook. So Facebook has 2.27 billion global monthly active users, which is crazy. 2.27 billion. Was there like 8.5 billion people in the world, maybe off the top of my head? I mean, it's, that's huge. Uh, and so, uh, Facebook does own Instagram and WhatsApp. So that, that monthly active users is including those apps, but nonetheless, they get data and profit from ads on all those. It's far ahead of Twitter. Twitter has 336 million active users and Snapchat has 186 million. So that's pretty crazy that they're bigger than both Twitter and Snapchat in terms of, uh, monthly active users, which is a big metric for how successful a social media 
platform is. So that's what TikTok is. That's how big they are and how important they are. Um, they started to get some more, they tried to make it more palatable. You know, I think they saw these political threats coming. These big corporations have a lot of political advisors, uh, lobbyists and things like this who are constantly on the lookout for what regulations coming, what's the mood, what's the wind like, you know, or which way is the wind blowing in Washington towards their business and towards their industry. So they probably got a heads up. This was getting to be a hot button issue, not the least of which is because all the controversy between the United States and China. I won't get too far into that subject right now, but most of you are aware that there was a huge trade dispute that we had with China very publicly. It really roiled the markets, really caused a lot of uncertainty in the, in the international community even. Uh, where Donald Trump was kind of in a showdown with China. I think for good reasons. You know, he was uh, really complaining about their human rights violations, especially in their manufacturing plants and the unfair competitive advantage that has over our U.S.-based manufacturers, which is really a shame that we've lost so many of those manufacturing jobs, especially to situations where, well, I won't go too far down that path, but, you know, that's one of his complaints. A huge complaint he had was about intellectual property theft and data theft and misuse in, in China. And uh, that really caused a lot of issues because he was including those factors in the re in the negotiation for trade and deficits and things like this. So it got very complicated, but it, it did really roil our relationship with China and really upset it. They kind of came to a tentative truce. And then, uh, of course, things have kind of gotten the, the waters have gotten rockier, let's say, with the uh, coronavirus, which President Trump is very famously called the Wuhan uh, virus and, and a number of other names that kind of points towards blame uh, on China since it did originate in Wuhan, it seems. But nonetheless, um, it, it got to be a pretty controversial topic and, and got to be um, got to be kind of a, a rocky relationship. So this is kind of the latest bout in that. And there's a little bit of speculation that controversy around, you know, President Trump unilaterally with an executive order threatening to ban TikTok in the United States. Uh, you know, uh, that threat is really roiled re relationships with China, not the least of which is because if China really is doing what he's accusing them of and using this user data for nefarious reasons and things like this, they have a vested interest in not seeing it stop. Right. So, um, Nonetheless, bringing it back home, I'd mentioned that they probably saw this coming on the horizon ahead of time because they started to take steps towards making TikTok more palatable for the United States and for the government. So it's owned by ByteDance, but they uh, they announced that Kevin Mayer, who is the CEO of TikTok now, and it was the C and is the COO of the parent company ByteDance, uh, they announced that he's going to be the CEO of TikTok recently, and he's at the helm right now. He used to be the chairman of a Walt Disney. Uh, corporation segment, direct to consumer segment. Uh, so he's a pretty heavy hitter, a lot of knowledge about the media space and a pretty big deal. And I think they did that. So they had, uh, you know, a United States citizen as the CEO of TikTok and their operations here and uh, trying to make it more palatable. But nonetheless, uh, it's kind of drawn the ire of regulators, drawn the ire of Congress, even definitely drawn the ire of Donald Trump. And the current state is that TikTok will be banned September 15th, 2020, unless Microsoft buys it. This is a crazy corporate headline. So Microsoft is trying to purchase this company. And if, if it doesn't work out, then Donald Trump's going to ban them from United States operations, ban them from the biggest market in the international community. That is just nuts. And it's kind of, un, I mean, it's unprecedented from anything that I'm aware of. And certainly with a social media platform, it's unprecedented. Uh, it's kind of a new level threat for a president to ban uh, a service like this. And it has a lot of implications for future legislation, future power of presidents and things like this, if he does successfully do that. 
So Microsoft's trying to save them, basically. They're trying to buy their U.S. operations in some other countries, uh, which would give them a lot of advantages I'm going to get to in a little bit. But essentially, the reason they're trying to do that is to alleviate the concerns that the Trump administration and the United States government has around Chinese censorship. So I want to speak for a moment about that. I mentioned earlier that, you know, that, that the Chinese government does directly censor the Internet in a lot of ways, for, especially for their citizens and what their citizens can view. And then they have their fingers in some international viewing. It's a lot of controversy around Huawei. If you want to look up, um, they kind of have their big telecom and they produce a lot of uh, they produce a lot of equipment for telecom, not the least of which is they had an early lead in 5G tech. And they were really worried about, you know, Huawei installing 5G tech in the United States because of the monitoring capacity that might give uh, the Chinese government. So you can Google about that and maybe I'll do a podcast about it in the future. But that was an interesting controversy as well. And it was kind of a foray into my understanding about the extent of the censorship in the Chinese government, especially as it pertains to the Internet. So let's talk about that for a moment. Um, the Internet censorship in the People's Republic of China affects both publishing and viewing online material. As of 2019, more than 60 online restrictions have been created by the government of China and implemented by provincial branches of state-owned ISPs, companies, and organizations. So when you talk about a Chinese government that's a, or a Chinese company that's a telecom or something like this that makes telecom equipment, it really does have some nefarious stuff in the back end. We're not used to that as United States citizens. You know, we trust an Apple product. We trust even like Google and people like this to protect our data, protect our metadata. You saw it with like Apple famously going to bat with the FBI about unlocking suspected terrorist phones and things like this because they didn't want the precedent of our government being able to get into people's devices and to have a back door into seeing what, what uh, their customers are doing on their devices. China doesn't have any of that protection. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, for, you know, free form, let's get after it. So... Uh, according to CNN, China's internet censorship is more extensive and advanced than in any other country in the world. The Chinese government blocks website content and monitors individuals' internet access. As required by the Chinese government, major internet platforms and messaging services in China established elaborate self-censorship me mechanisms. Some have hired teams of thousands of police to content to, or content and invest... Wait... Thousands to police content and invested in powerful AI algorithms. So they're actually using AI algorithms and thousands of individuals whose sole job is to monitor content uh, into changing public opinion and censoring and monitoring what's going on out there. Uh, many controversial events are censored from the news coverage, preventing many Chinese citizens from knowing about the actions of their government. Such measures inspired the policies nicknamed the Great Firewall of China, which, of course, is a play on the Great Wall of China. But in this case, it's, you know, them protecting their Chinese citizens, you know, instead of from outside threats like the Mongolians and things like this, like the literal wall China did historically. In this case, they're protecting them from having knowledge of what's going on or outside influence, outside news, news sources about what's going on and things that they might be educated about. Uh, commonly alleged user offenses include communicating with groups abroad, signing online petitions, and calling for government reform. We are just not used to this. This is so far from my radar and my, my version of what's normal in the world that your government might step in and say, you can't call for reform. You can't question us. You can't question the leadership. I mean, imagine good, better, or worse, how much criticism there is of politicians in the United States and things like this. It really does keep a lot of them honest, right? And they don't have any of that. And they use uh, uh, backdoor tactics to kind of keep it that way in China is one of the scary things here is that uh, they might change what information you can see. That's a huge thing in forming people's opinions is framing what knowledge they read and making sure that if you want someone to believe something wrong, you might give them an incomplete truth where your facts that you give them support your position and the facts that you hide from them support a counterpoint or something like this. Um, 
that's a really big deal. And that's, that's something to keep an eye on. And that's something to really protect Americans from, right? And to not have our data as a part of that. And that's kind of what they're fighting against here. That's why Donald Trump's worried about them. He's making it a national security issue. And he's trying to make sure that, you know, Americans and our data is not compromised and that we don't fuel this issue. Apparently they're using these types of tactics and even data from TikTok to monitor what's going on in Hong Kong and the suppression of democracy there uh, to monitor what their citizens are doing. Obviously, like I mentioned, what they're saying and any uh, political um, dissent and things like this. That's a really scary deal. I mean, imagine the people in power being able to maintain that power through essential, essentially propaganda and monitoring where your movements are if you're a political dissenter and things like this through tracking on your phone and who knows what else. I mean, it's really a scary kind of dystopia that you're looking at there. So it's not a terrible thing that we're getting protected from this. I know it's pretty unpopular because so many people love TikTok. So many content creators are making thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars off of TikTok a year, you know, with promoting different products and things to their users. Um, and apparently you can live stream, you can live stream a dance and things like that on TikTok and get donations from people kind of akin to Twitch. So it, it's something where there's a lot of vested interest in it. A lot of people are upset about TikTok being challenged, but it's tough to balance. I mean, there is a strong counterpoint here about making sure that that data is not misused, especially these really nefarious points. One fact of it, though, putting aside that opinion aspect of it, one fact of this is that it is opening the door for TikTok to have challengers. The biggest of which I think is Facebook rolling out a product called Reels. This is a really big deal. I heard that they're going to implement this on Instagram. And this is kind of a new model for Facebook. At first, Mark Zuckerberg made waves doing huge acquisitions or seemingly huge acquisitions in the tech space. I remember I was in college when he acquired Instagram and all of us were blinking at the page like, who is this idiot running this company buying Instagram for a billion dollars? Well, it turned out to be one of the best acquisitions I've ever heard of. Instagram's valuation has soared past that. It's been a huge part of him protecting his dominance of both Facebook and in the social media space. And that acquisition was brilliant. So he tried to follow the same model and acquire Snapchat when Snapchat became a big um, competitor, became a big threat to Instagram. And the Snapchat founders would not budge. They wouldn't sell, even though he gave them a pretty attractive offer. Turned out they were smart when they, they, they did an IPO instead and went public and ended up getting a bigger valuation and, and they're richer for it. But nonetheless, uh, he did try to acquire Snapchat and failed. So what he did instead was he copied the Snapchat disappearing stories feature, which is the mainstay of Snapchat. Now, it didn't pull away all of Snapchat's users. Like I mentioned earlier, they still have, what did I say? Snapchat has 186 million monthly active users. So obviously they're still pretty preeminent, but Facebook and its other apps have 2.27 billion. One way that he protected that and stopped from Snapchat eating into the social media share and, and the share of time that we spend on our phone on social media platforms is he mimicked that feature. Well, it looks like he's trying to do the same thing with TikTok, which I think is brilliant because he doesn't have to spend any money acquiring TikTok the way Microsoft is looking at. And he still gets all the upside. He still gets to protect his current users from switching platforms. And frankly, the disappearing stories thing is something I use all the time on Instagram. I use it to promote this podcast, for instance. I use it to show my friends what I'm doing on a daily basis or to share something interesting I'm doing that I don't want to do a permanent post about. It really improved Instagram. And it's kind of hard to remember a time when Instagram only had permanent posts, right? It certainly upped the quality of the permanent posts so that, you know, the profile only has things that you're really proud of that you really want to have out there, but you can still do a steady stream of content, little things like where I'm eating, what I'm doing, some fun I'm having, a vacation I'm on, a new product I'm trying to promote, something about my business, something about me and my girlfriend, XYZ can all be done over the disappearing stories on Instagram now. So it looks like he's trying to do the same thing with this Reels product. I, if I were in TikTok shoes, I would be really, really, really really nervous about that. Um, this is the 800 pound gorilla looking at you square in the eyes, right? Um, 
he did it successfully. I think he really hurt Snapchat's growth, Snapchat's future prospects. And he kind of sent a clear signal that if you don't sell, I'm a mimic. And now he's learned that he can just straight mimic. Um, I think that's really fascinating. Apparently there's direct competitors. Two that come, came up in my research were Triller and Byte are the most downloaded free apps right now in the store. Uh, Byte was actually made by a co-founder of Vine, which uh, Vine was another disappearing stories um, app. And its whole thing is, I think it was seven seconds was the format and comedians grabbed a hold of it and there were hilarious vines. It made, you know, I saw a lot of them on Reddit and stuff like that. I never personally had a vine account, but I saw a lot of their content and it was, it was a pretty cool and funny platform. So a successful tech entrepreneur is leading up this bite one. So they're seeing all sorts of growth this week. And what's happening is all these users and certainly the content creators are all scared. They're going, okay, Donald Trump just threatened to shut down TikTok. How am I going to protect this huge stream of income? You know, for some of them, like I said, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, maybe over a million dollars a year for some of the bigger ones. How am I going to protect this huge stream of income that I'm used to if TikTok is gone? So they're starting to switch platforms preemptively, which is lending some credence to those platforms. Apparently some of those platforms are actually paying bounties to them to come over and bring their user base and they're being successful at it, especially with all this uncertainty right now. Can you imagine? Okay. So on a good day, you're dealing with all sorts of problems in your business, things that you mean to advance your agenda and things that you mean to advance, but also things that just get shoved onto your desk. You know, two employees that are key start fighting, uh, two of your customers start fighting over whether they should wear a mask or not in your clinics, right? You know, stuff like that happens to us on a daily basis that we have to stop what we're doing and draws our attention to it. Dealing with an acquisition would be the biggest disruption. You know, it's one of the biggest decisions you make in your life is valuation, negotiations, giving your deck about your business and all the details of the business over in, due, in the due diligence phase and things like this. So there is all sorts of disruption at TikTok right now. Believe me, they are not on their game when it comes to execution this month compared to six months ago. So this is a great opportunity for these competitors to rise, not the least of which is this Facebook feature. So I would not underestimate how much turmoil there is at TikTok through all this, how much, how difficult it would be to get your employees to focus on any meaningful work these weeks when, you know, they're in the headlines with Donald Trump, you know, threatening to shut them down. They're hanging on every word, every update, every swing in Microsoft's negotiations and all that. I mean, the leadership is totally distracted. I'm sure the people are, there's probably chaos going on over there and there's these competitors, you know, making some waves during that time. So I think they do lose some market share permanently. And it's my personal belief is that Facebook's going to eat their lunch right now. Um, it's an interesting thing with Microsoft buying them. I'm going to get into that in a little bit, but uh, I'd be it's, inter it's an interesting acquisition. I don't totally understand it. If I'm being honest, I'm going to share with you guys the research I did and some what some articles postulated is their reason for buying it. But it seems like a more logical acquisition for Facebook, for Snapchat might be a great one to acquire this because it would help fuel their fight against um, Facebook. But Microsoft's a little bit, it's a little bit weird for them to buy it, in my opinion. Um, anyway, so there's a lot of room for their competitors to eat in their market share during this. There's a lot of room for uh, Facebook to launch their own competing product, probably on the Instagram platform and to eat into it. So this is probably a scary time for TikTok, not the least of which is the uncertainty of maybe being banned uh, in these major markets. So it's an interesting thing. So uh, the moves by TikTok's large and small rivals can come as the company's parent ByteDance responds to unprecedented amount of pressure from the White House because of national cons security concerns. Some Trump administration officials have said they want TikTok to be fully American owned. Although President Trump said Monday he would approve of a purchase of TikTok's U.S. operations if the government receives, quote, a lot of money, end quote, in exchange. <laughs> He's basically saying we won't approve this unless we get a, a, a lot of money, like a kickback or something. So he's basically holding the deal hostage to the U.S. government getting a check. I mean, 
his executive order, this, this is all unprecedented and sets all sorts of crazy precedents for future operations and future presidents to follow. And their dealings with corporations and acquisitions and foreign, uh, and, you know, international companies doing business in the United States. This, this is crazy. All the implications that come from this. The U.S. has undertaken a national security review of the popular video sharing app TikTok following concerns expressed by U.S. senators that the Chinese-owned company was censoring content to appease Beijing, according to a person familiar with the matter. This is a really hot button issue for all of the social media giants right now. You know, Facebook was accused of altering the 2016 election, and that has ire from both is drawn ire from both sides of the aisle, you know, both Democrats and Republicans are upset about this and taking fire at Facebook. It leaves them in an unenviable position of defending themselves from every angle in politics. And sure enough, Mark Zuckerberg had to testify in front of uh, congressional hearings and things like this about, you know, Russians influencing the election through fake accounts on Facebook. And, you know, the Chinese uh, government's been accused of this as well. So this is a really hot button issue for that segment and one that I do not envy them having to navigate because these other countries have restrictions and won't allow them to do business in their country if they, if they don't navigate them in an effective way from their point of view as well. So they're playing politics as well as developing products that end consumers enjoy. Crazy. In a letter to the Treasury Department, Mr. Rubio cited growing evidence that TikTok's platform is censoring content as China has sought to block sympathetic coverage of protests in Hong Kong and reports about China's treatment of Muslim minorities, among other moves. Man, that's sad. That's just scary. Using TikTok data and censoring content and probably promoting other content that helps their political agenda, especially with what they're doing in Hong Kong and against Muslim minorities, that's it's just sad. President Trump said he was ready to approve a purchase of the U.S. operations of the Chinese video sharing app TikTok, but only if the government receives a lot of money in exchange, like I mentioned, an assertion of presidential power that appeared to lack precedent. This is just nuts. So Microsoft's supposed to buy them. Uh, yesterday, their stock shot up, up over 5%, if I remember correctly. Today, they're down again. So that's signaling that, that Wall Street thinks there's a lot of uncertainty around this deal. The valuation they were buying it against was around $50 billion, so a really significant valuation. You know, why would Microsoft want TikTok? This was something I was scratching my head at at first. And especially as a Microsoft shareholder, I have a little stake in my personal brokerage, my personal portfolio towards Microsoft. I was kind of scratching my head at a little bit. I was like, why would Microsoft want that? You know, they've been really successful with their Azure cloud platform, which is kind of a competitor to AWS, obviously dominant when it comes to things like Microsoft Word. They, they have some hardware, like, you know, I play on Xbox, for example, when I play Fortnite. I'm actually not bad at Fortnite as a side note. That's, that's a game I've been playing with my friends for like two and a half years. I've always been a video gamer since I was a kid. I love it. Um, but anyways, you know, I play Xbox and I've always loved Xbox since I was a kid. And I was kind of like, this is a weird foray for them. I'm not aware of them ever owning any other social media platforms. Um, certainly not one this major. So I was like, why would they be interested? Again, like I said a moment ago on the podcast, it'd make more sense if it was Facebook or especially Snapchat trying to buy them. But why Microsoft? And why would their stock go up 5% because as someone pointed out, their stock went up over $60 billion in their total market cap because of a $50 billion uh, acquisition. That's just crazy, right? So the market really liked it for them. But today they're signaling some more uncertainty thinking that it won't get done, but why would they want them? So I researched this a little bit. I don't know how much I believe these things, but the mainstay of what I saw in my research, you know, I read an article on The Verge and a couple others. Uh, they said that it was because of data, you know, that basically they it could improve a blind spot they have in developing other software. So they'd be able to learn about user data, be able to 
you know, learn their, their demographics, where they are and things like this. Uh, apparently it's used Xbox to this end. Uh, I wasn't aware of that as much, but apparently they've learned a lot about developing their other products through data that they gleaned from fate or Xbox, watching the users, watching how they play probably screen time and things like this. Um, it's kind of an interesting fact. I never thought about it that way. Cause you know, the whole Xbox thing kind of seemed an interesting segment for, for Microsoft to hold on to for this long. And apparently that's why they get a lot of data that helps them. You know, there's synergies in the data they collect for developing other software. Who knows, maybe improving Microsoft office in some backdoor way because they're able to know how much time people spend playing certain video games or how they navigate different user interface screens. Who knows what data is useful, but apparently that's a big reason they did it. Um, and then the final reasons they think that might be a plan to uh, augmented reality. So that's something that they think Microsoft might use some of the tech that's in TikTok for improving that end. It's a fascinating thing. And it's a fascinating thing too, that the people who are caught up in this are the people who use TikTok, right? So the users and especially these content creators, as I mentioned at the opening of the show, one of my close friends, Lauren McRitchie, she was, uh, on the, on an NBA dance team. Uh, for the Utah Jazz, so a really talented dancer. She got onto TikTok early, got a big following on there, and actually makes some money from it in live streams. So I, I, I called her and got her uh, her take on this. I want to plug her real quick. Her handle is Lauren McRitchie. It's L-A-U-R-E-N, and then McRitchie, M-A-C-R-I-T-C-H-I-E. If you search for her on TikTok, you'll be able to find her. So if you use the platform, you should check her out. She's really talented, does some cool stuff on there. I've seen her repost some of her dances onto her Instagram story, and there's some cool stuff on there. So shout out to her for both her content and for agreeing to help me out with kind of a perspective from one of these creators. I thought that would be kind of cool for the podcast. Um, you know, she said that she has 20,500 followers, a little over that. She's worried about the app going away. You know, she gets money from these live streams. So she said, once you hit over a thousand followers, you can do live streams. And when you do that, the people can donate through the app to her. So someone can be like, oh, I like that dance move you did. Here's five bucks or here, dance like this. And you know, I'll give you 10 bucks, whatever, right? So she actually makes some money doing these live streams. And then another thing that she can make money from and a lot of other people do is they do like ads and promotional products, maybe even putting different ads and different products in the background uh, while they do their videos or while they do their content creation. So that's kind of a cool thing, but she's worried about it going away. Uh, she thinks that if it did go away, she would actually transition to YouTube, which I found a really interesting answer. I guess, you know, she, she wants to grow that presence that she has on YouTube and, and get some more views over there. YouTube does pay its content creators really, really well. And some people who do uh, podcasts, but do them as vlogs, So you can see their face as well, make, you know, well into the seven figures each year. The really successful guys make tens of millions of dollars. Men and women on there make tens of millions of dollars or use it to promote a product, um, things like this. You know, there's, there's a, I forget his name, but he founded a really successful makeup company. And I think he used his YouTube videos about how to do makeup to really promote his own product. If I can remember, I'll put it in the show notes. But anyways, you know, some of them make tens of millions of dollars. In that case, I think that guy got hundreds of millions of dollars in, you know, the value of his company because he created his own makeup line and promoted it to his followers on YouTube. So she's looking to transition to YouTube if TikTok goes away rather than going to one of these competitors or going to, you know, her Instagram and using reels or whatever. So uh, I found that very interesting as well to kind of get her perspective on it. She said that YouTube's harder to do because you have to like produce the video, whereas you can just shoot up a live stream or do a quick 15 seconds on TikTok and people will find you through the hashtags and things, whereas YouTube has a higher barrier to entry and it's more difficult to penetrate into like the, the search function on YouTube. Um, one other side tip she had was, you know, if you post at the right time, you get more views in the morning and likes in the afternoon. And she thinks it's because, you know, people after lunch break, check it out before they go to sleep. But 
it was an interesting perspective from her that she wouldn't be switching to one of the competitors. You know, a bunch of the competitors, like I mentioned earlier, are making waves during this and getting a bunch of content creation and eating into the market share of TikTok. And I found it really fascinating that she'd be switching to YouTube instead. So you might watch Google and all of this, you know, they might be a winner in uh, TikTok going away. This is a fascinating thing. You know, it's my, so again, my personal opinion of this is that Facebook's going to be the real winner. They're going to roll out this reels function. They're going to put it onto Instagram or their other social media platforms. And just like the disappearing stories, eating into Snapchat and limiting their growth. I think the same thing's going to happen to TikTok during all this. And especially because of the turmoil of uh, the Microsoft acquisition, uh, it's tough. For, I don't know how to handicap. Will the Microsoft acquisition go through? If I had to just put something out there for entertainment's sake on this podcast, I'd say yes. Just because there's so much attention on it, so much power in the U.S. government and so much pressure on ByteDance to sell it. But I am really worried, too. And the thing to watch in the coming weeks, and I'll keep tabs on this and report it back to you guys, is, is this going to make waves with U.S.-Chinese relationships? Are we going to have more trade war issues spiral out of this? Is this the straw that broke the camel back, so to speak, in terms of tensions between the United States government and China, which is already in, in an uneasy truce from the earlier trade wars that we had you know, a little over a year ago? that just recently resolved before coronavirus already frayed relationships because of the coronavirus and, you know, um, Trump and some other U.S. politicians pointing fingers at China for the way they handled it or for it originating there and all sorts of things like this. And uh, now they now they're kind of bullying around this Chinese company that's very successful. The Chinese government's not going to like that, not the least of which is if they are using it for these nefarious reasons, they aren't going to have that data anymore, which I think is a good thing from a moral standpoint. But it might start some trade wars that are going to affect us all and affect the markets. It's going to be interesting to see. If I had to guess, I'm going to say that, yes, there are going to be more frayed relationships towards the end of this year with China for all those reasons I just mentioned, and that it will roil the markets again. It'll be some trading opportunities I'll walk you guys through when that happens. Um, and again, I can't give investing advice on this podcast, but I can kind of walk you guys through what I'm doing and for entertainment purposes only kind of teach you about these things. Um, but nonetheless, I found this to be a fascinating subject. It's, it's definitely something I'm gonna do a follow-up podcast on as these, um, as these things develop, as we see if this acquisition goes through and we see what happens with the political implications of this and, and the precedence that this sets in law is going to be really fascinating to unpack. You know, what is the authority of the United States president for limiting foreign foreign international companies from doing business in the United States for national security reasons, especially as it pertains to tech companies. It's going to be fascinating to see how that shakes out in our courts. It's going to be fascinating to see how other countries mimic this or do it in retaliation. It's a really interesting time and there's going to be a lot to learn from it. So anyways, that's the podcast for today. We'll do a follow-up episode in the coming weeks to kind of see how all this shakes out and I'll update you guys. I really appreciate you listening. I know there's lots of ways to entertain yourself, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. Hopefully one day I'll be one of them. <laughs> but in the meantime, thank you so much for tuning in. I have been getting some great listener questions I'm going to be doing this week. So don't forget, you can submit those to theblackwoodshow at gmail.com. That's theblackwoodshow at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to talk about it. I've been getting a lot of positive feedback about the podcast. And I want to thank you guys. Um, you know, I, I'm sorting through the the content I'm going to do sorting through the format. And I really appreciate all the guidance and especially all the encouragement you guys have given. Lots of my friends have been great about reposting it um, online. We got our first international listener this morning. I'm really excited about that. And then more today. So we had our first in the UK and then in the UAE. I do plan to be pretty transparent, especially on my Instagram about my stats and showing you guys how the podcast is hopefully growing or not. But I want to show people who are interested in founding podcasts, what that's like. So you can follow me on Instagram and, and get to watch that as well. So 
Uh, oh, my handle's Blackwoodify on Instagram if any of you guys are interested. But anyways, really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. Thanks again. And I'll talk to you guys soon.